I'd like to welcome everyone again to the services uh, this afternoon. It's been a really beautiful Lord's Day. Um, little change of weather. Supposed to be here for a little while, and, and uh, I like it. I know some folks don't really care for the cold weather, but it's here, so we got to might as well do our best with it. Um, as Brother Steve said, we are going to be studying from Matthew 24. We had, a, I guess, a, a little hiatus on our chapter studies for a few weeks. And as he said, uh, we really appreciate all those that took part in the uh, Fruits of the Spirit study from Galatians 5. Uh, that was uh, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Galatians 5, okay. That was a good, good study, and we enjoyed it. Um, but we're back to our chapter studies in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be studying the first 14 verses of Matthew 24, but to help us get back in uh, to where we were, or where we are now, I want to back up a little bit to Matthew uh, 21, starting in verse 23, or actually Matthew 21 and verse 23. Speaking of Jesus, he says, He was come into the temple... And whoops! And the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? So Jesus here was speaking to his disciples. And as he was speaking, the chief priests and elders came to him and they asked him this question. And Jesus responds with another question about the baptism of John is the baptism of John of man or of God. And they knew that they were stumped. And they said, well, we just don't know. And uh, Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer your question if you don't answer mine. So um, that's kind of where we are. And if we, um, so Jesus was in the temple, the temple itself. He was speaking to his disciples, also the chief priests and elders were there. So you had some that were his disciples that were listening and paying very close attention to what Jesus said and appreciating what Jesus said. And then unfortunately, there were those who did not appreciate what Jesus said and they were the ones who were the leaders of the people. So we come to Matthew 23 and we see where Jesus is chastising these guys. And, and in Matthew 23, and we'll just pick up with verse 33 before we get into our chapter, Jesus, these are all the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel all the way at the beginning of time under the blood of Zacharias, son of, Bar of uh, Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. So Jesus is saying, look, it's you and it's because of people like you who are doing this. And he says, I send unto you. I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them ye kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Now think about what he's saying here. 
He is given a prophecy. He said, I'm going to send these disciples, my disciples, and they'll be prophets, and they'll be wise men, and they'll be scribes. They'll be men that have, like Matthew, are setting down the gospel. And I'm going to send them to you, but you're going to kill them. You're going to crucify them. You're going to scourge them. You're going to whip them, and you're going to run them out from city to city. And we know for a fact in the book of Acts, that's exactly what happened. So he's telling them he knows their heart. He sees them. He sees that they are the very definition of hypocrites. They go around outwardly dressed as righteous men, men of God, but inside they are corrupt. They are deceitful. They are complete reprobates. And they look at the word of God. They look down upon it. And they're looking at Jesus, who is the living word of God. So he, he says, all the blood of the righteous from Abel unto Zacharias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. He's saying, the blood of these righteous men is upon you because of who you are. And then in verse 36 of 23, verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. So he's telling them right now, within the next 40 years, because the generation was a 40-year period. Remember, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation passed away. So for these 40 years, at the time, Jesus was about 33 years old. And, it, and it, this, all these things are going to come to pass upon this generation. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets... And stoneth them which are sent unto thee. Who's sending them? Who's sending them? God himself. And Jesus with God are sending these prophets. They've sent them in times past over and over and over to encourage the children of Israel, to edify the children of Israel, to teach the children of Israel, to stay on that straight and narrow path, to obey all the law of Moses. And time and time and time again they fall away. And they become so corrupt at this point that it was time to do away with them. It was time to utterly destroy them. I back up again. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens or her chicks under her wings and ye would not. God wanted to protect them. God wanted to put his wings, his arms around them and shelter them and protect them. But they wouldn't go. Ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Not God's house. Your house. Because they had turned the temple into a den of thieves. Remember, we studied that a few chapters back. That he came and he ran them all out. There were the money changers and those that were trying to make gain in the temple. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, empty, with nothing. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You're not going to see me again. But when I come back, you're going to say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know, 
Jesus says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and Savior of all. And it will be then that they realize and their eyes be opened that all these things will come upon this generation. Now for our chapter, Matthew 24, starting in verse 1. And Jesus went out. He went out of the temple and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things shall be. I'm sorry, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So here in in chapter 24, these first three verses, Jesus departed the temple. He went out and he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which was directly across from the temple. The temple was on a hill, on a mount. And then there was a little valley. He crossed the valley and he went up to another hill, the Mount of Olives, and he looked across at the temple. And he said, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And the disciples had this question. And we're going to go back to this question. But before we do, I want you to see and notice a map. This is a map of Jerusalem during the time of Christ. Here is the temple you see here on the east side of of Jerusalem. (coughs) The temple is just right here, this here, and it's facing eastward, as you see. And it's facing the Mount of Olives, where Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That's where he went. And he's looking across back at the temple. And he was staying in Bethany, this town kind of on the outskirts of Jerusalem, what we may call a suburb, if you will, like Pearland to Houston. So that's where he was staying, but on the way he stayed, went to the Mount of Olives and he looked across at the temple. So we get the picture here. That's where Jesus was. And they were saying, look at all these buildings. Look how magnificent they are. Isn't that something? Because, you know, these fellows were Galileans. They didn't live in Jerusalem and they were very much impressed with the temple. And I dare say, if we would have seen the temple in all of its glory we would be saying the same thing. Gold and white marble, beautiful stones, huge stones. When you talk about stones, we're not talking about bricks. Now we're not about acme bricks. We're talking about giant stones. Hundreds of pounds each that were laid by craftsmen, one on top of the other. This is an artist's depiction here. I don't know if it does justice. I don't know whether you can see it very well. This is if we were standing in the southeast corner. So here's the main temple here and it's facing, again, facing the east. So Jesus was on a hill over here, if you will, looking down in this area. Here's the courtyard, the outer courtyard. This E is uh, the temple of the uh, court of the Gentiles. So they couldn't get any closer to the temple. The Gentiles couldn't. But here is the compound and you can see this artist's rendition. It's quite an impressive building and actually set of buildings. It's quite impressive. The temple was quite impressive. A, it was considered one of the wonders of the world 
one of the wonders of the ancient world. And he says, you will not see this again in this generation. Every stone will be taken down. Stone upon stone, there won't be one laid upon another. That whole compound, that whole area and the temple itself, the Holy of Holies. See, I don't know whether you can see the artist here has smoke going up from the altar. Can y'all can y'all make that out? The smoke going up from the altar and here the Holy of Holies. Gone. And it's gone to this day. You know, today it's debatable ex exactly where the temple was. I mean, they say tradition says this is Temple Mount and the temple was here and here, but it's all a guesstimate. People really don't know. And it's years and years and years and years that it's been here since 2022, I suppose, years or 2000. And I guess if Jesus was 33 AD, what is that? Uh, 1991, something like that, something like that. Anyway, almost 2,000 years ago. This is what Mark's account is of this same uh, discourse here. And if you'd like to study, I'd encourage you to study for Mark 13. We'll look at what Mark says. And as he went out, of, and starting in verse 1 of Mark 13, and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, See what manner of stones and what buildings are here. So he's, he's saying, look at this. Look at all this. It's beautiful. As they were sitting there. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Seeth thou these great buildings? Again, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, looking across, Peter and James and John and Andrew the two, the two sets of brothers asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? So again, these questions. Luke's account is this, Luke 21, verses 5 through 7. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down, every one. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be, and what sign will be there when these things shall come to pass? Those questions. Matthew had, relates three questions. Mark and Luke mention two, but the other is implied. But Matthew has three questions. And in verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? When are these stones going to be taken up and these buildings demolished completely and not one stone set upon another? When, are these, when is this going to happen? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? Remember Jesus said, When I come back, you'll see and you'll know and you will praise me. What will be the sign of thy coming? And finally, and of the end of the world. Those three questions. What are the signs going to be? When shall these things be? When are the signs and what will be of the end of the world? 
The ESV says this, and we'll just look at verse 3 because it's very similar to the King James. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him saying, When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? A little different wording than uh, the King James. It says in the end of the world, it says, and the close of the age. Well, I looked up Strong's Concordance, and that's the word there. It's pronounced uh, aeon, aeon, we've heard it before, aeon, aeon, a long period of time, an age, the space of time. And according to Strong's Concordance, the use here of aeon or aeon in Greek, by implication, the word. So the men that translated into the King James looked at what they believed was the true application of the Greek word, an age, the age, the space of time, and they thought it implied the word, the world, so that's why they put the world. But whether it's the world or the age that would be coming to an end, and it did. Jesus said it would. Starting in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. They asked these three questions. When is this going to happen? What are the signs going to be? And, and how about the end of the age when you're coming back? Well, how does Jesus answer them? Jesus answered them and says, Take heed, let no man deceive you. He said, You listen up. I'm going to tell you the truth. Don't let any, he's giving them warnings. He says, don't let any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name. They said, when are you coming back? He said, don't be deceived. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now let me tell you what, and I know Brother Steve and Brother Curtis will be taking the rest of this chapter and they I don't want to go beyond the first 14 verses. But Rome was the world power at the time. Rome was the same kingdom that Daniel described in Daniel 2 that would be the, the, the legs and the feet of this kingdom that were half iron and half miry clay. Well, iron and clay do not mix. But they were... They were together, they weren't bound, but they were together to form the feet of this uh, image that uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of, that Daniel interpreted the dream, and that would be the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, Rome had civil authority and, and governance over all the influence of the Mediterranean world and, and the, what we would call Western civilization, but within each of their territory, 
They had governors set up, and some of those governors were Romans, and, but some of them were local guys, like Herod, who was partly of Jewish descent, partly of Greek descent. And I know uh, Curtis is very much a, uh, a student of, of the Herods. So you, you have him in Judea, where Jerusalem is, and you'd have these governors all over the empire answering to the Roman emperor, but it was governed by the Roman army who oversaw everything, but there were conflicts going on. And there were conflicts even during this time. And there were conflicts within the Roman empire. And there were wars and rumors of war during that time. It says nation shall rise against nation. There was internal conflicts, kingdom against kingdom. And there were famines, and there was pestilence, and there were earthquakes all over. There were some earthquakes, they say, the historians say, in what we consider the holy lands now. He says, all these are the beginning of sorrow. So he says, first off, that there's going to be people saying that I am the Christ. You say, you don't listen to them. If somebody comes back even today and says, I am the Christ, don't buy it because that's not how Jesus is coming. Unfortunately, there are people today that have been deceived. It's sad, but people are deceived. I'm not going to go into any of the modern religions, but there are people that are deceived. We see them all the time. Believing that Jesus came, there's one religion, I'm not going to name it, that believes that Jesus came in the year 1919. Well, he didn't. <laughs> Jesus did not come in the year 1919. When he comes, we'll all know every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Jesus has not come. But he says that's going to be one of the signs, and you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Be not troubled. These times are going to come. All these things must, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then he tells them nation to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, Earthquakes in divers places, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, he's talking here about that generation. He's talking here about that generation, and there were. Remember, the Jews, the same people that he called serpents and vipers, they would set out to destroy the disciples of Christ. Christians, as they were first called, Christians in the book of Acts. And we see that all these afflictions happened and they sought to kill and imprison Christians. They ran them out of their towns and they'll be offended and some would betray each other. But for money or for fear, they would betray one another and the world would hate them. We know the story of, of Nero in Rome where the Christians, because the truth was so powerful, many Romans were Christians. And... And Nero had a big party and, and burned the city. 
And even though he did it, he blamed it on the Christians. He found the Christians as a scapegoat. And people hated him because they were different. I believe Brother Levi mentioned that this morning. We're different. If we're truly Christians, we're going to be different. And the world is going to despise us. We'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Just like it was in the first century, so it is today. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. People will see sin everywhere in the world and the the true love of many are going to wax cold. Their hearts are going to be hardened because of the sin that's abounding all around them. Matthew 24, verses 9 through 14. That's 9 through 12. That should be 13 through 14. I'm sorry. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. That's true now as it was in the first century. Just as we heard the lesson this morning, endurance. Endurance, and you didn't use this particular passage, did you, Levi? But we're talking endurance. Jesus says it here in Matthew 24, 13. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this is the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end shall come. Well, let me tell you what. Titus, a Roman general, came in A.D. 70 and destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed Jerusalem, he besieged the city, and many terrible things happened. And I'll let the other brethren in the next couple of weeks go into that in a little more detail. But in A.D. 70, it is a historical account that the Romans came and they destroyed the walls of the temple. They took every stone down. And some of them are in Rome today. Jacob and Laura, you've been there, you've seen them, hadn't you? Jacob and Laura saw They'd never been to Jerusalem, but they were in Rome. And they saw stones that were taken from the temple in Rome as a a spoil of the Roman conquest. And you'll see as we study the rest of this chapter, Brother Steve, Brother Curtis, how terrible, how terrible the abomination of desolation as Daniel described it, and Jesus said how terrible things were in Jerusalem for those folks that stayed. But you know what? This was God's righteousness. This was God's righteousness because the end of that age came then and the Jews were scattered abroad just as they'd been the ten tribes of Israel, the Jews, Judah and Benjamin and the Levites that were remaining True, supposed true, rejected God's own son. And God rejected them. Remember what he said? Your house, your house, not my house. That temple doesn't belong to me anymore because you corrupted it. 
your house will be desolate, empty. And then the Gentiles will come in, these barbarians, these Romans, and take every brick down, every stone, and take it away. And you're going to suffer like you've never suffered. And the glory of Israel would never be the same. It isn't. There's a new kingdom. There's a new kingdom, and it's all paid for by the blood of Christ. Completely. And you know where that temple is now? Look in the mirror. We are the temple of God. We are God's temple. Are we desolate? Are we empty? Have we thrown God out? We are now the temple of God. The temple of man, no matter how glorious, no matter how beautiful, no matter adorned with gold and silver, is worthless. It's worthless because the blood of Christ has done away with all that. It's all done away with. We don't need it. We are the temple of God. Jesus tells us. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Okay, David. Well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, let's look at what the word says. We'll let the word speak. Doesn't matter what David says. What does the word say? Well, Paul says this in Romans. Paul, who was one of those who persecuted the church. We talked about that. Paul persecuted the church. The light came to Paul, that light of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he said, you will be my instrument. You will turn the Gentiles to God. This man who could trace himself all the way back to, to the tribe of Benjamin. He was proud of his descendants as all Jews were. Direct descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His father, Benjamin, forefather, he knew that direct line all the way to him. I know that I'm a Jew. I know that I belong to the tribe of Benjamin. But that's worthless. That doesn't mean a thing because the old law was done away with. It was nailed to the cross. And when Jesus shed his blood... The gospel was the beginning and he was buried after he was crucified and he rose on the third day and the old law was destroyed. Remember, the curtain of the temple was torn asunder when Jesus breathed his last breath. It was over. Thank God. Thank God. In Romans, Paul says this, Romans 1 and 8. First, very first chapter of Romans, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Hmm. So when Jesus answered, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall come the end. Paul is saying here that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, the faith of the Romans. 
faith of the first century Romans throughout the world, the known world, the civilized world, the Roman world. Paul writes this in Colossians 1, uh, verses 3 through 6. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world. And bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. So as far as Paul was concerned, the word, the truth of the gospel was preached in all the world. The known world, the civilized world at the time, the western world if you will. But look at Let's now take a step back and look at the 20th century. Friends, I got something somewhere. I guess here it is. This little phone right here. Do y'all have one of these? I think most of us do. Mine is an Android. I know a lot of you have the Apples. But let me tell you what. iPhones, whatever. I can talk to somebody right now across the world. Not even with this phone. With anything communication device and I can tell you get this back in there I can tell you I used to work at Shell a global company and we had people that we talked to in Chennai India we had people that we talked to in Singapore we had people that we talked to in the Philippines I mean on the phone immediately friends the world knows about Jesus. The whole world knows about Jesus. They know who he is. They know who he says he is. Will they accept him? Will they reject him? It's up to the world. But the world knows about their creator. The world knows about Jesus. You know, I believe it was Colossae when Paul's writing to these folks here He never went to Colossae. I believe it was Colossae that he never went to. He went to Corinth. He went to Thessalonica. Of course, he went to Antioch. He went to Rome. He went to a lot of these places, but I think Ephesus, but I think Philippi. I think Colossae was one who said, you know, I never did get to see y'all, but I'm going to write you. I'm going to encourage you because I've heard about you. I've heard about you, and I know you're doing what's right because I'm hearing a lot of good things about you. Paul's writing them a letter. And you know, Paul's never been to Pearland. <laughs> but you know, Jesus has. Jesus has. Because if Jesus is living in us and we're here in Pearland, Jesus is here. Isn't that something? What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. Paul realized that. And of course, Jesus. He's saying, the Lord Jesus, praying for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. You didn't think we'd still be talking about fruit. (laughs) We are. 
as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew of the grace of God in truth. Finally, our last passage is Colossians also 1 and 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, brethren, I'm talking to all of us now, not just Paul writing to the Corinthians, but all of us. If we continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, hope, that's another one. Levi, we talked about endurance. We talked about suffering. Now we're talking about hope. But from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. We need to all continue in the faith, grounded and settled and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. It which was preached, I like this, and here he is again, preached to every creature which is under heaven. We need to take these words, and I encourage you to study upon them and study this chapter as we go into this chapter. We know these events happened, that Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was taken down, stone by stone, brick by brick, and it is no more, was laid to waste, as they say. And this temple was a symbol. The temple was a symbol of the Jewish nation. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that bloodline, that old law was taken away. And when Jesus died on the cross, the old law was taken away. And Jesus now, thank God, we live in the dispensation of the New Testament. Jesus himself dying for our sins. What a great, great hope we have, the hope of the gospel. And if there's any here who have not obeyed the gospel, the invitation is for you tonight. That invitation is just as real and just as vital and just as necessary today as it was in the first century. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ which we share when we are baptized. We share that death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus Christ when we're baptized. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you're willing to confess His name before this audience and before the world, if you've repented of your sins and you say, I do not want to walk, I do not want to live like that anymore, I want to live for Christ you repent and you're willing to obey the gospel and be baptized. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that tonight. If you've taken those steps and you need the prayers of this congregation, I would encourage you to come. Again, I want to thank you for your kind attention to this study tonight. I hope you found it beneficial. I myself really did, and I'm looking forward to hearing the sermons from Brother Steve and Brother Curtis in the next couple of weeks. God bless you all. If you have a need upon your heart, please come now as we sing in the song. Amen.